Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Streaming box technology and business rundown. Welcome to the Screen Box Technology and Business Rundown Podcast. In this month's podcast, I, Dave Erickson, and my co-host, Botan Sedesh, are looking to learn how to make the ultimate pitch with our guest, Glenn Rudin. Glenn is a sales and marketing consultant and a coach with extensive experience in both sales and marketing, and now specializes in breakthrough messaging, brand development, and product creation. Working for companies such as Revlon and Shiseido, Glenn has developed the business-winning sales and marketing strategies. Later, he created and sold numerous consumer products to some of the largest retailers in the world, including Walmart, Target, CVS, Macy's, and Lowe's. Today, we're going to find out how to develop a unique selling proposition and to build it into a pitch that will grow a business. So, Glenn, what did I miss? Is there anything you'd like to add to the uh, breakthrough intro that we just did? Well, Dave, I really appreciate the introduction. I think it gives everybody a, a good snippet of some of the things I've been involved in in over a 40-year career that uh, I've been working in this space and why I consider myself somewhat of an authority on how to create great messaging for businesses. So thank you and uh, to Botan for, uh, for having me here and uh, looking forward to uh, our interactions today. When you worked uh, in corporate America, what were some of the things that you started out doing and what were the, the kind of takeaways for you? Well, you know, it's a really interesting um, industry. Both Revlon and Shiseido are in the, you know, in, in all levels of the cosmetics industry. And from a branding and a messaging and copywriting perspective, you really couldn't start in a better place because everything there involves storytelling, right? We're trying to get uh, men and women to part with 30, 40, 50, over $100 sometimes, and even more expensive for items uh, like facial treatments and uh, perfumes and colognes. And the way that that's done is by really romancing those products through the copywriting that's done for them. Because in that industry, you're either relying on packaging to be attractive so that customers will pick it up. Of course, things need to smell really good as well. And then you're relying on uh, the people who work in the various uh, channels of distribution, the uh, salespeople at counters and department stores all over the world to brush up on product knowledge about these products and help romance them to customers. And so it, working in that industry gave me a really good sense about how important packaging, copywriting, visual all are in terms of getting somebody to actually pick something up and really wanting to part with money for it in exchange for the imagery, the branding, the way that product feels in their hands. So it was a great place for me to really start and understand this relationship between copy, packaging, branding, and the entire sales transaction. Uh, speaking of convincing people to part with their money, um, startups are a great way to do that. So many people part with vast amounts of money that way. How important uh, would you say is messaging and branding in the 
overall success of a startup? It's really being able to um, share a vision so that somebody else can see why this thing that you feel passionate about matters in the world and how well you can create that vision so that somebody who's not as familiar or immersed in it as you are can now see this from your perspective and understand where there's an opportunity in the marketplace to be able to capitalize on this opportunity based on the value that you're, you're giving to it. So the idea really is to be able to transfer that vision from where you see it in your mind or have, have it written out on paper to get somebody who's listening to you to be maybe not equally as excited, but certainly excited enough to think, wow, this is something that I can really see and I can understand why somebody would want money invested in this and I can see where I would want to be that person who wants to be a part of this vision. So I think it's really a question of transferring that vision from what you see in your head so that somebody else can really understand what that is and be as passionate about it as you are. That makes a ton of sense. And I do understand that's something I never even thought about. So, I mean, having never started a startup, I have no experience in uh, getting any investment capital. But that's uh, something that never came up in my mind as... Uh, as a roadblock. I always thought that uh, people just get uh, to sit down with venture capitalists and convince them why it's a great idea to invest. But indeed there is an immeasurable value in attracting the right kind of investor instead of seeking them out. Uh, what I was originally trying to ask is uh, how important messaging and branding is on the uh, let's say, sales side of startups, so attracting customers. Oh, okay, okay, and, and, it, and it's a great question, and, and it's one that so many entrepreneurs and startup companies fail to realize, because your, your messaging is, in essence, your ticket to the show, because if you don't have accurate, not only accurate messaging, but attractive messaging, that gets somebody thinking that they want to hear more. If the messaging doesn't create engagement, you really can't get to the next level, whether it's working with investors, whether it's working with a consumer on just, you know, a business to a consumer level. If the messaging isn't there, that doesn't give somebody the idea that they're missing out on something because they don't have it now and you're describing it, then you never really get to a place where you can scale it up, where you can actually ask for money for it. And what happens many times, um, Botan, is people, um, people mistake good, clean, clear messaging that resonates with messaging that is loaded with all kinds of terms or technicalities or large words or difficult concepts to explain quickly. And most people don't have the intelligence or the attention span, in spite of what we might think, to follow along. And so that messaging has got to be simple and attractive. It's got to be concise, but it's also got to be to a point where someone hears it, there's something intriguing or interesting about it, 
and they want more knowledge on the topic. And where most people fail is they either load that messaging up with complex ideas or thoughts, thinking that if I make this sound really technical, someone will be really impressed. And it has the opposite effect. It confuses them. And in the case of investors, people who want to be highly regarded and want to be well thought of, the last thing in the world an investor wants to do is appear confused by what you're doing because it makes them look like they're not smart or they're not knowledgeable. And so very often somebody will just nod their head in agreement with you as you're doing that, but they won't ask follow-up questions because you've confused them. And many times that just shuts off the entire transaction right there because someone doesn't necessarily want to admit that they don't understand what you're speaking about. And the goal for you is not to get the idea to re-explain it, but to explain it the first time in a way that it's engaging enough for someone to get the main concept and say, wow, Bhutan, I want to hear more about that. I've been through several accelerators and other things with startups and the worst pitch decks or decks that are about what they're doing are the ones that are written by the founders who happen to be engineers who developed the product or developed the technique. And then they said, oh, well, I'm just going to make a PowerPoint about what it is. And it's literally, you know, like a university uh, level PhD thesis is what their PowerPoint presentation is about their product. And it, you know, people just don't get it. And probably, you know, one of the things that I, I learned in that experience is uh, as a technical founder developing a technical product, you should never write your own presentations, right? Because you, know, you, can, you should be able to explain what you want to somebody and then they take that and dumb it down. And I don't think dumb it down is the right word. Simplify it, make it clear and figure out what are really the main business points out of that. Right. So Albert Einstein has the best quote on this, which is, if you can't explain it simply enough, you don't understand it well enough. Right. If you if you think in terms of um, the, the, the complicated formulations and technicalities of, let's say, um, a pharmaceutical item. Right. And we see these ads on television all the time. Right. They don't get into the, the nano science of what's really involved behind what their compounds do to cure the complex things that are going on inside the molecules, inside your bloodstream and all the rest of it. They simplify it down to, hey, do you have this particular issue on your skin? And people start thinking, hey, I think I do. I've got something that actually bothers me on my skin. And listening in further to try and find out how I get this thing that might help me with something that I might actually have on my skin. And if you'll notice, they do this in 25 or 30 seconds on uh, a commercial or in an ad that you might see running on YouTube, right? YouTube, you've got five seconds to get some kind of a point across that someone either says, I'll listen further, or I'm going to cut this off now and skip the ads. So that, that gives you a great sense about how the clock is literally ticking inside all of our heads and why we really need to endeavor to simplify these messages as much as we can, make them as relatable as we possibly can, and, and even, in a sense, 
make them empathetic. So somebody feels like you're speaking to me about something that concerns me, but you're absolutely right. If you're somebody who's very technical and you don't have an ability to really communicate on a very simple level, you probably are not the one who belongs writing the copy for your elevator pitch, for your pitch deck, for anything really that involves something that's going out there for the consumer to consume, to read, and want to react to. What are kind of the components of this successful kind of initial pitch? Say you're trying to do the, you know, a 15-second elevator pitch. You're going to stand up and you're going to tell somebody about your idea and why they should invest in it. Right. What would be kind of the components of putting a pitch together like that? What are the things you need to think about in coming up with kind of a an elevator pitch or a, a sentence that, that describes your product or service? Right. And so let's distinguish also, um, because people watching might think, you know, confusing a pitch deck with an elevator pitch, right? So a pitch deck could be a 10 or a 15 slide or page presentation that gets into much more detail, sales analysis and projections and market research and things like that. So that would be a pitch deck and we might spend a little time speaking about that. But now if we're speaking about an sure. elevator pitch, uh, from my perspective, the way I teach this to my clients or students that, uh, that, that attend my, my courses, it's really strict in terms of the time limit. So I always say it's, it's 30 seconds. If you can do it in 25 seconds without really speaking fast and getting somebody thinking, making them nervous, and really no more than 35 seconds because that's more than enough if you're properly prepared to do it the right way. And the most important part of any pitch, and I'd say 70 to 80% of the people that I come in contact with get this wrong, is the introduction. The very first few things you're going to say that might be 8, 10, 12 words and maybe about 8 to 10 seconds. And that is the introduction to your pitch. And this is the most crucial part of it. Because if you don't start, start strongly with that pitch, there's no way in the world you can ever finish strong because you'll lose somebody and you can't get them back. Now, the way I teach this is by either using a question or a fact at the top of my pitch in the introduction that will get somebody listening, leaning in and engaged and wanting to hear more. So if I was doing one, say for my particular business, I would say 90% of the people I come in contact with struggle with their message, their pitch or their branding. Just that sentence, 90% of the people I come in contact with, because now there's a really good chance I'm talking to you, Dave, or I'm talking to you, Botan, because I'm talking about nine out of 10 people. So when I say that, most people do listen in and say, wait a second, this sounds like something I want to hear more of. So I've got them engaged. The other way that I can do that is I can say, did you know that nine out of 10 people I come in contact with struggle with their message? or with their pitch or their branding. And again, it's a bit softer there. It's a bit more empathetic than just throwing a fact at them. So when I say, did you know, right off the bat, someone's leaning in, what did I, what do I, did I know what? And now I'm going to say something that there's a really good chance they're a part of the audience I'm addressing. So that introduction is of massive importance when you are doing a pitch, because as I just stated, if you don't start strong, 
If you don't get initial engagement, then you will lose the audience and they will immediately start thinking, who's the next person pitching? Or what do I have to do after work? Or where am I going for lunch, right? You've lost them. And one of the ways, one of the most common ways that people lose them is there, there are actually two. One is providing information we don't need. So you'll notice when I did the top of my pitch there, I didn't mention that my name is Glenn Rudin. I didn't tell you that my company is called Always Been Creative, that I'm known as the message master, or that my company is located in Long Island in New York. Why didn't I mention those things? Because none of those matter to you, Dave, none of them matter to Botan, and none of them matter to anybody who's listening. Because you're not buying my company, you're not buying me, you're not coming to visit me, I haven't invited you. So why would I bother filling up 30 valuable seconds with any of that information, and yet people do that all the time. And why do they do it? Because they're nervous and they're unprepared for what the rest of the pitch needs to be. And they figure this is a great way to use up some time and put some information out there and not sound like I completely don't know what I'm doing. And yet you're wasting valuable listening attention time by giving me information I don't need. You'll add that in at the end. Believe me, if somebody hears somebody something interesting that you said, they will endeavor to find out who you are, what your company name is, or if they can visit you or spend time with you, how to do that. The second thing, and we spoke about this just a moment ago also, a bit earlier in our, uh, in our interview, is filling up your introduction and your pitch with technical terms or college words. Because when you use big words, what you do is you stop somebody from listening to you and you start them thinking about that first big technical word that you just used and their brain starts thinking, I know that word, I think I know that word, what does that word mean? In the meantime, you haven't stopped to let them catch up. You've continued with their pitch and they're no longer listening. Now, if you put a second technical word in there, if they were smart enough to figure out the first one, now they're busy working on the second one and you're done. They just kind of thought about what those two words were and you're looking at them thinking, did you get me? And they're looking at you thinking, I have no idea what he just finished saying. And so you completely take somebody off the track of listening to you by putting those technical terms in there. And so the advice that I give the people that I teach on this is create a pitch that is easily understood by somebody who's about 14 years old. Here in the States, both time we would say middle school. I don't know how you would say that um, where, where you are, but if you can address your pitch at a level of a middle school or a 14 year old, then you know anybody working in the business world should be able to comprehend what you're speaking about. So that's some really good basics, a long-winded answer on how to get your elevator pitch started the right way. Yeah, for, for me, I, I think elevator pitches are really important because they're so useful in a lot of ways. It's not just pitching to an investor, but even if it's just you're talking to your mom and she says, what are you working on? Or you're trying to put up your first website uh, to promote your product, 
you know, that elevator pitch is really what should be kind of on the, the opening of your website just to describe what you're doing, right? So I, I think people don't focus enough on the initial elevator pitch. It's also, you know, using your guidelines of simplifying, it really can make it so you can get your message across as to what you're actually trying to do uh, quickly. And that's so important in today's world. Right. And, and listen, true. And keep this in mind. And people mistake this both in pitch decks and elevator pitches, which we're speaking about right now. The idea of your elevator pitch is not to sell anything. You're not selling anything. What you're trying to do is create engagement and follow-up. So typically here, uh, you know, in the States, and probably where you are also, Botan, right? You're, you're going to be in a room networking, let's say with 25 or 30 people. And, you know, we go around the room and everybody does their elevator pitch one after another after another. And by the 10th or 15th, listen, we, we've all kind of had it with what it is. So depending on when you get to do yours in that order, you could actually suffer from elevator pitch fatigue because people have now heard 15, most likely not very good elevator pitches. And yet the, it's going, the process is going to continue. And what people fail to understand is the idea here in that room of 25 or 30 people is to get it so that five or six of those people, when the meeting is over, they say, hey, Dave, hey, Botan, what you just said, that sounded interesting. I made a little note here. I wanted to get your business card and follow up. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, I'm doing this right now, and Dave or Botan is going to follow up with me right afterward and say, how do I give you $1,000 for your course? How do I pay you to be my consultant? And that's not really the idea. I'm hoping to say enough things about what I do or enough things about my product just in that short period of time, something interesting so that you'll want to hear more. No sales, no transactions, just the idea that was interesting. How can I get more information? So elevator pitch is to generate interest. And then the pitch deck is to reel the deal in. Well, do I get that uh, correct? Well, so th this is interesting too, um, because people, you know, here in the States, and I think in Europe too, and maybe you, you've, you've seen the show Shark Tank. Are you familiar with that show at this point, uh, Botan, or, or Dragon's Den? I hate Den? that show so much, but that, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> it's fun. So people, pe people get the idea because that show is, is drama, right, that is somewhat scripted a bit. And people so do these, you know, five-minute pitches, and then these billionaire investors are, are buying right into what they do. Now, uh, behind the scenes, there is a whole lot of negotiation that goes on behind the scenes. But for the dramatics of television, right, it's just better TV if somebody does this and someone immediately wants to invest. But the truth is, really working with angel investors, people whose money is really near and dear to them, and they're not on TV playing some role that, you know, that people are going to admire and say, wow, look at that billionaire, how he wheels and deals the percentages and the money that he throws around. When you really are doing a pitch deck for angel investors, they too are just looking to see, is this a concept that I might be interested in? Is there enough here to create a follow-up meeting? 
to create questions and say, sounds interesting, now can I get more details, as opposed to you're doing the pitch deck and someone's got their checkbook out and says, you know, here, here's a half a million dollars for your concept. So the pitch deck, in a lot of ways, is similar to the elevator pitch. What I'm really trying to do is create a bit of a relationship with somebody who I know has money and may be interested in investing that money somewhere, and I want them to be interested enough in what I've discovered, what I'm putting out there to say, yeah, I've heard a lot of pitches, your sounds interesting, let's have a deeper discussion about this. So that pitch deck, really the idea there is to get into a more serious meeting after that initial meeting where someone's really had a chance to digest this, go back and do some research based on the information you've provided and say, looks to me like maybe there is an opportunity in the marketplace. Tell me how you really are going to go about doing this so I can decide if in fact I want to invest, how much I want to invest and what percentage of your company you might even be willing to part with if we can come to an agreement about this. I do think that there is a mm, different dimension to all of these uh, discussions. I think that is to get the investor emotionally attached to the idea of this product or this uh, service or whatever. Absolutely. So that, and, yeah, and, and one of the things yeah, and, I, I do admire about, sorry, uh, Dragon's Den. I just saw a clip a few days ago and there was this guy who invented some uh, life-saving device whatever it was, but every single dragon was instantly emotionally invested and everyone wanted the piece of the pie. And that's something that uh, so many people neglect. They just go like, oh, this percentage, uh, that market share, this uh, production cost, whatever. That, I don't feel like that's so important. Right. And think about, but they, I'm, I'm sure they, they had a lead-in sizzle video that they did for whatever that investment was and they dramatized exactly how this item works and how it dramatically saved somebody's life so that anybody looking at it can immediately say if that was me laying on the ground or stuck in that car or someone that i knew was in some horrible situation i could see that thing saving my life or someone's life that I really cared about. And so it's creating this empathetic connection to that item to say, I can see where this has a place in my life. And if I can see where it has a place in my life and it's priced right, then I can see where it might have a place in the consumer's life in general, in the marketplace. And then somebody who's an investor like that, Botan, starts seeing the numbers adding up in their head. How can we scale this so that if it'll work for me, really simply, I understand it. Now what happens if we put $10 million worth of advertising behind this and show this to the world and the world looks at it and says, wow, that's a small investment to make to potentially save somebody's life in this situation that we're all in all of the time. So exactly what we're speaking about, they've made a compelling video which makes it come to life for somebody so they can now understand why this thing exists and how it's going to work for me. Right. I mean, one of my favorite uh, things about mar in marketing as a whole is, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dior Sauvage and its branding. 
It's Dior. Oh, Dior Sauvage. Uh, okay, yeah. Dior Sauvage. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Johnny Depp is just walking around. <laughs> and I don't know, digging some uh, hole in the middle of the desert, and everyone is like, "Oh, I want to be as cool as him." And <laughs> it just works. Imagery, imagery. Time. Well, interesting. You brought that up. I I, I do a um, a weekly show on the uh, the app Clubhouse. And, um, you know, one of the things that I do in my in my segment, I've got a segment every Friday morning, 730 uh, EST here in uh, in the States that runs for a half hour. And one of the things that I do is uh, I talk about something that happened on this particular day in history. And I was just doing some research for uh, for my show. And it's funny you brought up um, uh, an item like that, because this Friday uh, in, in 1919, Coco Chanel introduced the fragrance Chanel number no. five. And the reason Ooh, that- That's a yeah, historic fragrance. The, and that's a story in and of itself, right? In terms of what that all uh, led to. She already had a fashion house and she was already doing designing, but that fragrance really cemented her uh, in the world. And, and it's interesting because um, you talk about differentiation, which is one of the keys to a good elevator pitch, which is one of the great keys to uh, a pitch deck. What's different about your company, your product or service than other people in the market that are already doing this? And when she came out with her fragrance, the company that actually was the fragrance house that was mixing her fragrance, the story goes that supposedly um, they put a bit too much formaldehyde in one of the samples and it turned out to be the fifth sample that she tried. And this one with all that formaldehyde smelled much different than most of the fragrances that were available at that time, which were mainly floral or fruit, fruity, using all kinds of natural fragrance. And so all of a sudden people put on this Chanel number no. five and it smelled different. It smelled great, but it smelled different than the other fragrances that were available at the time. And that difference is what allowed it to stand out versus everything else that was out there. And then just, you know, take it and romance it a bit further. So this was the fifth sample. And she decided that she was going to launch this on the fifth day of the fifth month, May 5th. And so that's what May 5th represents for Chanel number no. five. And I'm sure most women who've used that fragrance over all these, you know, hundred plus years that it's been around, have no idea why it is Chanel number no. five, but but that's a lot of the lure behind it and a lot of the imagery behind it. But the differentiation in terms of how that smelled versus everything else that was available on the market at that time was what allowed it to stand out. To be fair to all the women who didn't know about this story, neither did I, being a fragrance. Oh, buff. okay. In a lot of ways. Interesting. I had no idea. Okay. But uh yeah, thanks. Thanks for yeah. sharing that, Glenn. It, it seems like in 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 a pitch, whether it's a an elevator pitch or a pitch deck or even just copy for your website, it seems like the you know two of the key components are some kind of emotional connection, uh, differentiation. Um, what are some of the other, are there some other components that are important? Well, you know, again, you know, you, you can't overstate the idea of, of the differentiation because you have to understand that in, in the world that we, that we live in today, right? You know, 2023, 
So if you're coming up with a new concept and the, the, the leg that you're standing on for that is that it's a new concept, you have to remember something. Society, the world, we've been living without whatever this is for the last 2,023 years. So there's a really good chance we could probably make it a bit longer without what you're doing now. So if what you're doing is, is not different enough from what somebody else is doing and newness is not enough, there's probably not a good reason, right? We're all creatures of habit, right? We all like the things we like. We use the soaps that we use. We use the colognes that, you know, that Botan just mentioned. We drive the car brands that we drive. We buy the breakfast cereals that we buy. All of these things are habits that we have built in. And so if you come along with something new and you want us to change, we're creatures of habit. You've got to give us a great reason why we want to change something that we do now that we're already comfortable with now. And newness, some people just love newness, but for the most part, that's not enough to sustain it. So differentiation is really super, super important. And of course, listen, the, the key question to any of these things is why. Why does your business or product exist? Why does it matter to us? Why does it matter to the world? If you can't sit down and answer that in one quick sentence that somebody would read and understand, then you've got to go back to the drawing board and you've got to say, I've got to work on this some more so I can really tell Dave and Botant and the audience why what I'm doing matters. Why is it going to matter to anybody before you can even get into the differentiation? Why? Just think about that. It's, it seems simple enough, and yet most people do not take the time to really get that down on paper. So that when somebody says, how come I want what, what you're doing? Can you tell me why it's important? And they can't because they haven't taken the time to do it. Right. And it doesn't even have to be something world changing that upsets the whole market. It can just be because it's cool. That's why you want it. That's why I want it. That's why everyone will want it. Yeah, listen. Well, part of, part of cool is kind of making it cool. And part of the True. process of making it cool is your messaging. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because just just cool in and of itself. You know, again, if you think now I'm, I'm sitting in front of a table of investors and they want to know why this particular item is going to stand out. And let's, you know, we'll, we'll take that fragrance uh, idea out a little bit further. Right now, these big fragrance companies like Dior, like Chanel, you know, name whichever, uh, Tom Ford, you know, name the most popular ones that are out there now, right? They have got lots of equity that they're building on top of. So it's fashion, right? It's imagery that's out there in the marketplace. They already have a fan base that's probably worn some other Dior cologne that they already like. And so now they're going to come out with something that smells different. The package may be different. The bottle is certainly going to be different. We know how much money cosmetic companies invest in, in packaging and in imagery, right? So if you were just a startup and you were launching a new fragrance, in my judgment, I believe you'd have to come up with some reason that, hey, we, you know, we tested this on 5,000 men and every single one of them got a date within 20 minutes of wearing it. Oh, well, okay. Now, you, you know, you put something out there that obviously there's something in that fragrance that really attracts 
whether it's the opposite sex or the same sex, but th there's something in there that really gets somebody moving. Now you've got some technology built into your fragrance that would allow an investor to say, that sounds different. Because if you're just out there and you're trying to appeal on the scent, that's a little bit more just subjective. Smells really good to me. It might not smell really good to your investor. Maybe your investor, you know, again, they're sitting down and they're thinking this is going to be a proposal based on a cologne or a perfume. But if there's not a real reason for why this one that differentiates it, you might have a really difficult time getting somebody to say, I want to invest in that. So cool is great. But behind cool, then you've got to be willing to say, and we've got X amount of dollars that we're going to be spending on this to show that it is really cool to the marketplace and really establish that coolness with the target audience. And now somebody looking at that saying, oh, okay, and, and how are we going to be, you know, getting that out there? How's it going to be distributed? How are these people that think this is cool going to get their hands on it? How are they going to smell it? And that's a big part of, you know, the marketing campaign behind the fragrance that will determine whether or not this actually can get some market share or not. Or, hear me out, Glenn, we could say nine out of 10 dentists recommend <laughs> yes. our fragrance. <laughs> of course. I, I, think a good, uh, I think a good example of this, at least for me, is Oakley. Because their product, you know, they position it with a lot of branding that's related to cool, but they also back it up with a lot of technology, right? They talk uh, about how it's better for performance and how it's more comfortable and the way they design the glass and all that. I think that's a fairly good example of how they market a lot on cool, but they also kind of have something in the back end to, to give you some real uh, differentiation between another pair of sunglasses that could also look cool, but may not have the same technology or not have technology. At very, all. right. Very, very good point. So, so in their particular case, right, they're, they're combining the imagery of their product, you know, that you're going to see these on, you know, a lot of, you know, slick men and slick women that are out there, um, you know, in the in the south of France or on some very expensive looking golf course or sitting around some gorgeous swimming pool. But right, there's also technology involved in what they do in terms of the way the glasses are built and and um, and how they filter out particular levels of, of sun ray that are harmful to your eyes. So right, they've got the imagery but they, they're using uh, or employing something called brand storytelling. And in this particular case, this, the brand storytelling method they're using is based on, based on technological achievement in the category that they're in. So they will talk about how this filters out X percentage of whatever. So there's a brand story there based on technology. And because they've been doing this consistently over time, their fan base believes and appreciates the factual stuff that they put out there in their marketing. They already believe in it and they continue to hammer that home. And then on top of the technology, they make it look great on really good looking people. So the rest of us aspire to not only want to take advantage of the technology that's there, but they also want us all to believe that when we wear these things, we're going to look cool also. We get a lot of proposals. People come to us saying, hey, I would like to build a website. This is my product or I want to do a mobile app. 
this is my, you know, SaaS product or whatever I've developed or designed. Those kind of websites or the, the projects that they're asking us to do, they've developed them from a very technical background. And when I ask them, well, what is it that you're really trying to say, right? They, they usually end up talking about their technology and their focus is really on the mechanics of what they built because they're engineers, right? They, they, they love their, they built it because they love this product. They love the concept. They're trying to solve a problem. When I ask them, what problem are you solving? They may say a sentence about it and then go on with all their technology of how their technology is wonderful for this problem. I think though that in not just pitching, you know, an investor, but pitching anyone or talking to anyone about your business proposal, or when you come to a development company and say, Hey, I want you to build this. I think they get lost in the technology and, and aren't focused on why they're doing it and who they're trying to help or who their customer is and speaking to that. I know that part of the branding, marketing, and sales process is understanding your customer or your audience, and that's probably a critical feature in any kind of presentation or pitch. Maybe you can talk a little bit about how people can kind of go about engineering or writing or putting their messaging together in relationship to their audience, and how do they figure out what their audience responds to best? Well, you know, identifying the, the right audience is crucial for, for any messaging, right? Because, you know, uh, for, for argument's sake, if, um, if we're, we're selling real estate for the 55 plus retirement community, but the messaging that we're putting out there um, is really meant to appeal to, uh, you know, to the TikTok universe that's out there in terms of uh, you know, the videos and the way we're speaking and the quick, you know, quick cuts and things like that, that somebody who's, you know, 55 plus might not respond to. So it's really important to determine who is that person that is hearing what you are saying. And if you're, let's say, let's say you are a millennial, you're in your 30s and you're not sure exactly, but, you know, but you're, uh, you know, you've got a real estate investment here that you're selling and you know that you need to be selling that to people who are 55 plus, then it's really very important that, you know, that you find some people who are in the demographic who you can actually run some of the copy by, some of the messaging by, so that you understand exactly how they are going to react to what you're doing. Because there's a really good chance that if you take the time to meet with some, again, we'll use this real estate example, some people who are 60 years old and you run some messaging by them and it doesn't resonate with them, then you know you've got to go back to the drawing board because you're speaking to somebody from the standpoint of a millennial's mentality, which is going to be completely different than that of somebody who is a baby boomer. And so it's not to say that you're in your 30s, you can't do this, but it's really important that before you actually finalize something and, and put it up on a website or put it into writing or into a brochure that you've test marketed with people who are in that demographic. And it doesn't mean you've got to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars doing research. For sure, you've got parents, or if you don't want to get your parents involved, 
then you've got friends who have parents who could potentially be interested in making this kind of investment in real estate and finding out whether or not the message is resonating, whether it's understandable, whether it generates more follow-up questions. That's exactly the kind of thing that you're looking for. So, you know, again, as you put any of these kinds of campaigns together, doing it with your end target market in, in mind is crucial. Because if the end target market, the people that you really trying to sell this concept to are not hearing it because you're speaking in a different language to them. And yes, millennials speak in a different language than baby boomers do at a different pace, at a different clip, in different amounts of information going out there. Then there's a really good chance that the messaging you're putting out there is not going to appeal to the target audience. And by the same token, if you're somebody who's my age in your 60s, and you're writing copy that it needs to appeal to millennials or Generation Z, it's probably really important to make sure that the way you're speaking is a way that that audience wants to take that message in. So it works both ways in that spectrum, but it's crucial to make sure that that messaging is written in a way that the target audience is really taken into mind when you're putting it up there. In pitching or in sales, and, and, I, and I don't say pitching and sales are the same thing, but, uh, you know, in sales, you're, you're, you're in a sense presenting what you offer and trying to get the, the other person to say, yes, I would like that, right? In pitching, you're kind of doing something similar. You're presenting an idea and hoping to get someone to say, I like that enough or I'm going to talk to you some more about it. In, in the past a lot of that activity happened personally. You were meeting people personally, uh, you were in conventions, you were in audiences, you, you, you were doing it live. And a lot of our sales and marketing strategies and techniques were developed from that. But in our current post-pandemic world, a lot of stuff happens just like this podcast, virtually, um, or by web or now by TikTok or YouTube or other ways of communicating, presenting to people uh, that people didn't necessarily have before. How has that changed the basic kind of strategies of pitching and selling? Are there things you need to kind of take into consideration doing it virtually versus live? Well, you know, one of the big mistakes, it's, it's a great question and, and it's well taken. Look, it's opened up international opportunities that never existed before, right? I can be on a call uh, with you or Botant where, you know, before this technology existed, what, you know, where in the world would we even run into one another anywhere in the world? It'd be virtually impossible. And so what you have to start thinking about is what does the selling environment that you're in look like? Now, look, um, not that I'm caught off guard, but right, I'm doing my particular presentation right now in front of a, a green screen. So that's really what you see behind me. So um, you, you don't see a mess. Uh, you, you don't see, you know, a lot of um, uh, disorganization and chaos behind me, which is very, very important because whatever you're selling from now, you're bringing this environment with you. 
One of the things that people don't understand is they start looking at the person that they're speaking to on the screen because it's much more comfortable to do that. But what you need to start doing is training yourself to actually look at your camera, make eye contact there so that somebody can see you see you and, and, and honestly look into your eyes and understand the sincerity uh, that you have. You need to make sure that your audio, whether you're using, you know, I'm using a Yeti microphone, but whatever you're using is very, very audible and understandable. And then again, you know, here in terms of your pitch, you may even want to slow it down just a little bit in terms of the pace that you're putting it out there so that depending on how somebody is receiving it on their end, they've got a chance to take it in, consider it, and then respond back to you. So the pacing is very important and also giving your audience a chance to consider it, being comfortable with some of that silence, letting it sink in and then waiting for someone to say, okay, I've got a question for you. So it's really getting practiced at the idea of looking at the camera, Again, presenting your thoughts in a very succinct manner so that you're crystal clear and you're creating engagement and people listening in and then giving them a chance to absorb what you have and then ask you some questions. But the lighting is critical. So many times people will appear where their, their window with the sun beaming through is behind them and then they're completely in shadow. We can't see them or the lighting that they have is not bright enough so we can't really see their face, we really can't see their eyes. The audio is somewhat garbled so it's not really coming through clearly. Every single one of these things has the ability to diminish the message that you're delivering when you're not doing it in person. And so it's really critical that you get well practiced at how you appear on screen, how you come across on screen, and is your technology favoring everything that you're doing and allowing you to be your absolute best from that perspective. Well, I'd like to jump to another topic. One of the things that people have a hard time with and or forget to do or don't do well, and maybe you can offer some tips on this. When you finish a pitch, you're usually asking for something. You're usually having some kind of call to action uh, even when you're doing sales, you're, you're trying to, you know, you're not saying this to somebody for it to just end and then they walk away, right? You're trying to get some kind of action, but it's one of the harder things that people have, you know, do. It's it's hard to ask somebody, well, now that you've listened to me, please do this, right? But maybe you can give some pointers or some tips on on how to kind of close a pitch and and how to do a call to action or ask somebody for something at the end of your pitch. I think that would be, you know, important for people to know. Okay, and and that's a great question, also. And and again, taking the easy way out, most people end a presentation by saying, "Do you have any questions?" Which is probably the worst thing that you should say because it immediately says to somebody, "If you don't have questions, there's a problem." And if you've done a good enough job presenting what you're doing there really shouldn't be any questions. And so to me, the best way to, to get to, to the answers that you're looking for would be to end your presentation with, based on what I've told you and what I know your goals are, how can we quickly or how can we get to a place 
where you feel comfortable making this investment? How can we get to a place where, because I, we, we're, we firmly establish that this is a need that you see like I see it. I, I can see the way you are nodding your head, that you understand the problem that this addresses. How can we take this to a next level for you so that you feel comfortable with everything that I've just explained rather than asking questions or we can anticipate if we know what some of the questions somebody might ask would be, how long does this take or how much money is this going to be or when is this actually going to get into the market? You can take the time because very often people will be uncomfortable, especially in a group setting. You know, it's one of the more unnerving things when, when someone like me is doing a public um, presentation or a speech and you stop somewhere along the way, any questions, and it's just complete silence. And because you're in this virtual world, you can't even really tell who's paying attention, who's not, because you're really focused on yourself and there's 30 or 50 or 100 people that are on this call. And so a better way to go about it is to have some canned questions in your mind that you already know the answers to, which will make somebody feel that much more comfortable in terms of the way you're buttoning it up. So, you know, again, if, you know, if we talk about this fragrance idea that, that Botant was talking about earlier, I know you saw these great images of the fragrance and I'm sure you're wondering, how can I get my hands on that actual fragrance so I can smell it, I can wear it on my skin, you know, see what it, it, it smells like to me. And the answer to that is we're going to be sending out samples on such and such a day, or we have samples here um, in, if you're in person, you know, in the briefcase that we can bring out and you can actually get, you know, the, the, the smell of this right now. Or, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure based on what you saw, if we talk about this life-saving device that you saw on the dragon's den, right? I'll bet you're wondering how in the world you could possibly see this or get this into your life. Well, we've done this, this, and this to make sure that a sample will be available for you to try because we know how important this will be to you and to the world. And we don't want to let any roadblocks get in the way of stopping that. So it, it's really taking the time to think about if you were the investor, what questions might you have at the end of this? How soon are you looking for the investment? Um, how much of an investment is a minimum that you could make in this? How could I follow up with you? Think about what some of these questions are and fill in the blanks for them so that when you're done, right, you're actually done with the presentation. Say, I listen, I know based on the questions that you ask that you are really interested in this investment. What can we now do to take this to the next level with you and your investors rather than just a general, do you have any questions for me? What advice would you give to people who are just starting out to build their brand identity, their uh, pitch deck and elevator pitches? So, of course, you could go with a classic, just do it. But, <laughs> I mean, if you have uh, something very specific that people don't even think about in general. Well, the, you know, the thing that I see, it's a great question, because the thing that I see more often than not is somebody who has a great idea here, but they haven't put it down on paper. They haven't shared it with anybody. 
And what you have to realize is the, the longer you sit on something that you think is a great idea, right? There, there's three billion people on the planet. And I'm not saying they're all thinking about whatever you're thinking about, but there's a really good chance if there's some new mousetrap that you have in your mind that you think is going to be a better way of catching mice, the longer it sits here than gets on a piece of paper and you start speaking about it or start doing something about it, it will never happen. And so people are frozen by the fear of not knowing what to do. So for me, the first thing to do is put it on paper. The second thing to do is find somebody, whether it's somebody like me that's worked in product development, that's worked in marketing and sales and, and messaging and branding, find somebody that you can take and, and people like me do free uh, consultation calls all the time where people will get in touch and they'll start speaking about something. Uh, I, I had somebody just um, about a month ago who came to me and um, her idea, uh, not that it was a bad one, was a, a new character that she wanted the Disney company to create a movie property around and market. And I said, listen, you know, this is a, a really noble idea, and I, I have no idea who the character is. I did not look at it, but I said, you know, you can go right to the Disney website, and the first thing that they'll tell you is we don't take submissions from people that we don't know because we don't want to get into legal hassle somewhere down the road if we happen to come up with something that looks similar to what you think your particular new character was. And so I will say, I'll, I'll land the plane on this, Botan. If you've got a good idea, take action, do something with it. If it's not something you're comfortable creating or doing, find somebody who can help you bring this thing to life on paper. Talk about it in ways that either it's a good idea or it's not a good idea, or you haven't done enough research and there's something just like that that's already out there in the marketplace. But don't keep it locked up here because nobody can do anything with it if you're the only one who knows something about it. Uh, that honestly goes about so many uh, things that people recommend. One of the first thing many people recommend is keep it locked up. Don't share. Somebody will sh steal your idea immediately. But uh, Glenn, you said something that I truly do believe in. If you have a great idea, just just share. Because someone might, ha might help you make it a reality. I mean, it's important to know who you're sharing it with, right? There are people out there who will be only too happy to steal your idea. I've certainly seen my share of that in my career. But there's a lot of really good people out there, too, who are only too willing uh, to help to lend a hand to some extent and, and at least give you the confidence of knowing this is something really worth pursuing, keep going after it, or this one might not be your, your best one, but I'm impressed by the fact that you're thinking that way. Keep thinking about what might else be, you know, what else might be out there in terms of opportunities. But certainly you can't do anything with it if it's just locked up inside your head, Botant, for sure. You know, getting to meet people getting a feel for who good people are and then trusting them with your concepts and ideas so that you get feedback. That's just always a positive thing. It helps make business go through. Uh, and that kind of leads me to the next, next point. So Glenn, 
what are kind of the things you help people with in your consulting business? And if there are listeners to this show, how can they get a hold of you and uh, work with you on the, the things that you can offer them? Okay, so I'm, I'm a coach and a business strategist. So I, I help people uh, create these pitch decks, elevator pitches, develop their branding and their corporate message to the world. And so if you're struggling like so many people do, you've got a good concept, but you could use help with that. These are the kinds of things that I specialize in uh, and helping people understand the strategy of what it's going to take to get this idea developed, understood, and marketed. These are all things that I've worked on uh, throughout my career, uh, both in startups and then working inside large companies like Revlon and Shiseido that we mentioned earlier. I'm super easy to get a hold of. Uh, my company's website is alwaysbeencreative.com. Right on my homepage, there's a spot there where you can book a free 30-minute call with me. There's no cost, no obligation. We'll just get to know one another and create a deeper uh, connection as human beings, which I love. You can find me on the LinkedIn platform. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, I'm the only Glenn with two N's, R-U-D-I-N, on LinkedIn. You can find me on Instagram. That's Glenn underscore Rudin underscore message underscore master. And you can just write to me directly. Glenn with two N's at alwaysbeencreative.com. I answer every email and letter uh, that I get. And uh, anybody who books time with me knows that uh, a half hour usually turns into a lot more quality time than that, which really gives somebody a good idea about whether or not they're on the right track or they really might need to change course. And so I welcome any of your listeners, anybody who's hearing this to get in touch with me. I'd love to get to know what your idea is and if there are ways to, uh, to work with me. I'm going to be actually launching my first group training uh, sometime probably in the middle of May. So if uh, individual one-on-one -on -one coaching isn't right for you, there might be an opportunity there for you to be, you know, inexpensively uh, in, a, in a weekly class with me where we actually get to interact with one another as well. So all those ways, and I appreciate your asking. And listen, I appreciate so much meeting the two of you and getting to know the two of you a bit more here and look forward to connecting to the two of you down the road. And I thank you so much for the opportunity to provide this uh, interview space for me. Well, it was wonderful for us. We we learned a lot and got a better understanding as well. And we'll obviously put all of your contact information in our descriptions on either uh, our YouTube channel or our podcasting uh, outlets so uh, people can get a hold of you quickly. All right. Well, Glenn, thank you so much. Uh, and to our listeners, uh, in a month, we'll have another uh, Screen Box uh, Technology and Business uh, Rundown podcast. And until then, uh, happy trails and stay healthy. Thank you very much for taking this journey with us. Join us for our next exciting exploration of technology and business in the first week of every month. Please help us by subscribing, liking, and following us on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and please let us know any subjects or topics you would like us to discuss in our next podcast by leaving a message for us in the comment sections or sending us a Twitter DM. Till next month, please stay happy and healthy. <laughs> <laughs>